Also, just a heads up, Brianna, we live in a fairly industrial part of San Francisco, so occasionally there's like hollering and uh, just kind of like ambient clamoring like outside in our alley, so. Sure, yeah, no worries. No worries at all. Maybe there will be less hollering than usual this I know, time. I'm worried about- Hooting and hollering. Uh, Hooting and hollering. Yeah, there's a, there's a man with his dick out in the alleyway right now. Are and, you uh, serious? Yeah, so. Really? <laughs> yeah, oh so. Oh my God, let's put him on camera. <laughs> I know. Let's Maybe. get him on here. Yeah, let's bring he's him in. He's like, he's doing this very like supine, <laughs> sort of relaxed. <laughs> Anyways, Anyways, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we can get it rolling then. Let's and do it. Do the show. Hey everyone, it's Hit Factory. I'm Aaron. I'm Carly. And today we are joined by a wonderful guest, uh, freelance film writer Brianna Ziegler is here joining us on the pod. Brianna, thanks so much for being here. Hello, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Well, it's a it's a delight. We're really excited to get into uh, to some film talk with you. Um, but first and foremost, uh, Brianna, where can people find you and your work? Uh, people can find my work um, probably most condensed on my Twitter account uh, at just free zigs. Um, I'm a contributor for Film School Rejects, and you can also check out my Substack, uh, briannaziegler.substack.com. And just so we're clear, this is your very first ever Twitter account, right? You're not like uh, defying Twitter rules and and making a new account after ever being suspended or banned. No, I've never been on Twitter once before. <laughs> this, I'm brand new. This is all. This is a whole new world to me. My eyes are are open to the magic of posting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's a very. I was gonna say it's a very liberatory uh, space, but it's really not. It's actually quite confining. <laughs> And uh, I'm sure we'll actually probably talk about our, our little online communities and, and the unreality of, of the mediated world uh, in regards to the film uh, of today's episode, which is David Cronenberg's 1999 Existence, um, starring Jude Law, Jennifer Jason Lee, Ian Holm, Don McKellar, a whole slew of people. Christopher Eccleston's here as well, briefly. Yes. Um, and... It's a wild ride. It's very Cronenberg. It is it is a, a written and directed by kind of picture um, and, and deals in a lot of themes that are very familiar to his work, probably most notably Videodrome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what you all felt about the film. Brianna, was this your first time watching Existence or, or had you come to this one before? No, I, it was the first time I'd ever seen it. I liked it. I thought it was like kind of funny. It's like so overly horny it's like a, it's so horned up I mean the the scene that I mean obviously we'll get into them but there are some really like just grody orifice touching scenes where it's just so like overly um not phallic what's 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 the vagina word for phallic <laughs> vaginal? vaginal I guess Vaginal. I don't know. It's less of a that doesn't sound as Freudian, but um, <laughs> but yeah, that I just like burst out laughing. I mean, it's just so like it's almost like parodying. It's it's um and it's such a tight ninety minutes. It just goes by so quickly that I almost feel like there could be more. Um, but no, I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun and like kind of yeah, silly, interesting. I had a good time for sure. <laughs> yeah. God bless Cronenberg, by the way. I, I, I tweeted this out from the Hit Factory account, but like 
the undisputed like champion, the goat of like the 95 minute runtime, like across his entire career, like bigger budgets, whatever, 93 to 100 minutes all the time. He's he's getting close to that like that coward's runtime, but like he keeps it tight most of the time. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it and yeah, he's just uh, I appreciate him for it. The, the tight 90 is interesting with this one in particular, and I think this is a testament to Cronenberg's skill. It's a quick watch for sure, but it feels it feels like there's a, a pretty nice build. Like, I felt like, you know, as we were ramping up toward the climax of the film, you know, there wasn't... There wasn't whiplash, despite the fact that we're being inserted into all of these new spaces and new conversations and, you know, we're constantly questioning what's going on. I did feel like it was paced pretty conservatively, and I liked that. It, you know, when I thought about, like, what actually happened in the movie, like, the plot is not super dense, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of subtext that it's dealing with. But there isn't a whole lot that happens in terms of, like, events. It very much, like the video game itself felt kind of self-contained and felt discreet, um, despite the fact that it made me, you know, think about all of these things and my mind was going off in all of these different directions. But I did feel like it was paced pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With a lot of his films, you know, the last act turns into this just like eruption of, I don't even know what, um, you know, I, I already said video drum, and, and this one reminds me a lot of that, where at the end it just turns into kind of this like explosive scene of like bloodshed and body horror and lots of yelling and things like that. And this one does something pretty similar. It, it you know it ends with this militant uprising in the middle of like a, a a cabin in the woods, and and then pulls us out and shows us that we're still in like a game level here. Um, so yeah, it's just it, it always feels like it's just about to get away from Cronenberg, and then he he finds a nice way to kind of tightly wrap it up. Let's talk about let's talk about the horniness for a minute <laughs> of this because it's it's worth mentioning um, a lot because Brianna, you're right. There's there's like a this you know kind of like penetrative like invaginating kind of thing happening with some of the male characters. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, that's a good word. But also like the bioports look like assholes like they look like anuses and yes know, like... but they treat them like vaginas yeah. yes Erin <laughs> and I were talking briefly about some of the queer coding and like some queer phobic stuff um in the movie as well there's that whole sequence when Jude Law is um you know he kicks things off by telling Jennifer Jason Lee's character that he doesn't like when his body is penetrated and she sort of smirks and he's like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, for surgery, <laughs> yeah. lady. Yeah. Med- medically penetrated. Medically penetrated. Mean. And then we, of course, go to this gas station where, you know, Willem Dafoe's character, who um, he's being very Willem Dafoe. And and it made me think of his performance in um, Boondock Saints. Is that what I'm thinking of? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> He's doing some of that stuff, you know? Um, well, and interestingly, too, in Boondock Saints, his character is a closeted homosexual. Well, that's that's why I'm bringing that oh, up. okay. Because okay. It, felt, it felt evocative of that. But then there's this entire sequence of Jude Law and Willem Dafoe's character with this gun. There's one shot when Jude Law is bending over and he has his hands on the rails of a chair. And, and then, like after like the act the deed is done he's sort of like 
stomach first, splayed out, you know, his butt sort of in the air. And, okay. and he was like, I love it. It was great. Like, you know, there's... God, I didn't even think about this. Now that you're, say- now that you're saying it, in the moment, I just totally, uh, like, did not register this. But it's so... Uh, it's even more... There's so much going on here that I didn't even... <laughs> register at the time. Yeah. It's... A, I mean, the first act of this film is like Jennifer Jason Lee uh like coaxing out Jude Law's bisexuality yes. and like fingering really? a pocket pussy like that's that's what we're doing cuz like the, the 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 game pods themselves too are these like obviously synthetic things but they're like flesh colored and they wriggle and move and like they have nipples and and other like erogenous zones they have a clit on them like it's <laughs> yeah. it's very intentionally sexualized and and coded that way and and mm-hmm. yeah Cronenberg just has this like fascination with with orifices as you said and 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 what we want to do with them I guess yeah I like the scene it was like so much uh I forget are they in the game in this scene no it's right after I think he gets his second oh I was going to point out that both the times that he gets the um the port put in him. They're both by men. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like a, yeah. Um, but this, I think it's the second time um, when Jennifer Jason Lee is like looking at it and starts like fingering it and like lubing it up. And she's like, yeah. it's excited. I wrote down, it's excited. It wants action. I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Well, and she like, she like lubes it up like with some spit too. Like she like just kind of oh. like sucks her fingers and then does it. And then there's like, you know, like the, the chapstick kind of like yes. lube that they have too. Yeah. But- but yeah, there's lots of just fingering and tonguing and lubing up of this like little hole in the backside of the people. Well, and the last thing that I'll say that I just thought was another like a, a great overt nod to some of this stuff was that the tool that Willem Dafoe's character was using to find sort of the location on Jude Law where he was going to inject the port, he references as a stud finder. And I was like, okay, this is, we know what's happening here. We're fully entrenched in it. Yeah. And the thing about it too with Cronenberg is, you know, he deals with this kind of stuff a lot. Like I keep bringing up Videodrome and I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance. It just is like, feels like the, the most explicit like corollary here. But Brianna, have you seen Videodrome? I have a while ago, like in college. Okay. I think, yeah. But so like that one deals with like the kind of phobia of the vagina dentata, right? Right, like, James yeah. Woods like grows like a stomach vagina and like it, it eats things and he like can hide things in it. And mm-hmm. so it's sort of dealing with that. And, you know, the, the more that I kind of like watch Cronenberg's work, I, I have to feel like he's not not being either phobic or like sanctimonious about it. Like mm-hmm. I think that he's actually just readily exploring these these ideas, the, this imagery because he's trying to almost like exercise his own phobias. Like, I I don't think that this is him, you know, standing at a distance, making fun of homophobia or making fun of this thing. Like he's dealing with something that's very sort of cis masculine, like this idea of like penetration or like intrusion that men are so like ready to sort of, you know, dole out as as, and express in violent ways to the rest of the world, but are for some reason, for exactly the right reason, terrified of it themselves and, and receiving that, that kind of, uh, being being the subject of that thing instead. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this beyond just that it's an interesting no, yeah. thing that he keeps exploring. I, I also agree. I don't think like as you're saying it, I don't I also don't think now that it's been pointed out to me, 
um, these undertones, well, they're not even undertones, they're very overt, but um, <laughs> like, I don't think they're phobic at all. I think it's more of a commentary or like a critique of how like, I don't know, straight cis men are so, they have this like internalized um, fear. Like it's not Cronenberg having a fear of it. It's like, it's like, it's like commentary on just how like these men in general have this mm -hmm. like, this like innate, not innate, but learned, um, societal uh i guess aversion to um queerness i guess you know yeah. mm -hmm. simply yeah. put it's not unlike uh i mean alien you know and like dan o'bannon like you know making this story that fundamentally is about a, a foreign object penetrating a male orifice and impregnating them you mm -hmm. know and then like the violent like pain of birth so you guys are also making me realize that and i was i was sort of divinating this from the movie when I was watching it, but you're helping me clarify some something here, which I think is that I also feel like Cronenberg is maybe commenting on the sort of like banality or sort of like the, the baser side of just existing in, in the late stages of the 20th century and, and in a world that's like you know, we can get into this hypermediated and um, full of technology, but is still ultimately like we have all of these very primal urges that we're living out, uh, you know, amid all of this technology and amid the matrix. And I think that's also sort of what I got from a lot of the sexual overtness of the film is that there are still these, yeah, these really primal instincts that we have that, that we, you know, play out and sort of manifest in a lot of different ways in, you know, the modern age. I, I think that's, there's no better place than, than with that comment to go into, I think, the, the sort of auxiliary pieces of cinema coming out in 1999. And specifically in the spring of 1999, there is another movie about a, like, biotech hole in somebody's body that you plug into and go into a simulated reality. Um, and that movie made, made way more money than Existence did. Um, yeah, when I was when I was watching this, I was like, "Damn, this is just like The Matrix." And then I looked at, I was like, "Wait, wasn't that the same year?" It was like within two weeks. That's insane. There's yeah. just so much. They're so similar. It's crazy how much better The Matrix did. <laughs> but they're tackling. But they're tackling. Um, such similar topics it's it's such a weird coincidence you know we've talked about a, a handful of these movies on on our show and i think that there's still more of them that, that we haven't even even covered yet but this idea of the late 90s and specifically 1999 that's sort of the dawn of this like y2k era uh, being sort of like the the end of the afterglow of the end of history right like after the, the 90s and this like collapse of the Soviet Union and like the the affirmation of American superiority and like capitalist society and we're the economy's booming and like we can't be stopped and then that sort of starts to fade and evolve into this moment of sort of nascent anxiety that ends up completely coming to the surface in the wake of of the September 11th attacks and, and in like the war on terror era but there are a lot of these movies about this, like the system is, the center's not holding. The system is kind of starting to like fray at the edges and tear at the seams, you know, like whether it's The Matrix or Existence, The Truman Show. Um, talented we, Mr. Ripley. Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh yeah, one. I was thinking about um, that too. 
We even talked about it in, in regards to the Blair Witch Project. I can't help but see, though, Existence as, as an outlier even within that group, like in its own sort of like subset, because it it's not dealing with those things and giving us like a liberatory message. It's not saying like the Matrix that like there's a way to uh, to break the chains and to room, remove yourself and unplug. It's actually saying like, you know, by, by virtue of us being willing to plug in at all, we're distorting these different layers of our reality that that. Our, our mediated environment is actually starting to subsume us rather than us like breaking away from it. And I don't know how you feel about that, Brianna. Like, do you think that this is a more cynical like idea than the matrix in, in this movie? Um, I mean, I haven't seen the matrix in, I don't know me. I, I was like a kid when I saw it okay. and it didn't, it didn't like really stick with me. I should probably rewatch it. Um, but I haven't really like been interested in doing so. I guess it is kind of cynical. Um, it's very anti-game. I, it's it's kind of anti-game, but at the same time, I feel like it's it's like acknowledging that. I guess no matter how you know how subsumed we become or consumed we become by virtual worlds, we still like. I think one of you said earlier, there's this base level like primal instinct instincts that we have that can't be unlinked. Mm -hmm. from being gamers mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know and I like so I like that fusion of this like virtual world and gaming with this like fleshy these fleshy game sacks or whatever that can be you know dissected like living creatures mm -hmm. um like you know saying that gaming and gaming are we human or are we gamers <laughs> they're, they're the same thing <laughs> Now I'm just hearing. If yeah, if if I <laughs> hopefully hopefully oh, I can get away with. Head. Hopefully I can get away. Oh, that was beautiful. Underneath the please underneath the please audio. play the killers. <laughs> um, no, I think you're totally right, Brianna, and you're you're also making me realize too that yeah, there's this like overlaying or um, kind of like superimposing of more organic, you know, sort of the natural world on top of the mechanical and uh, the technological, even in the form of tools of violence, that gun that's made out of like bones and teeth and is constructed from, you know, the detritus of weird mutated amphibian fish things is a lethal weapon, but it's made from bones. It's not, you know, it's not a gun that we sort of understand and, uh, and know of in, in the typical ways. So I think there's also this, I think you, there's something to what you're saying that like this way that Cronenberg is playing with the natural world versus the technological world and sort of the primal and uh, the more mechanical, inexorable um, qualities of existence kind of like all blending together. And, and I think that's also what, on the one hand, this movie is about going deeper into this like hyper reality, but it also feels very surreal the entire time you're watching it. Like she's shot, but she's like smoking a cigarette in the car and she's like very nonchalant about it. She's like, dig that thing out of my arm. All right, let's go. They're, you know, sort of moving about the world with all of these extreme and intense things happening. And it is kind of signaling to us before we realize it 
that we might still be in a level of the game because it feels kind of plasticine and and even their dialogue is kind of yeah just like plastic and artificial I commented when we were watching, I was like, why is she not like more hurt? She didn't she get shot? You had a lot of questions when we were in the layer. Because she she didn't get um, hurt that bad because it was just a tooth. That's what I kind of gleaned. Because I thought the same thing. I was like, wait, how is she okay? And then he pulls out a tooth and I'm like, all right, I guess it was just a tooth. Yeah, totally. It's like getting hit with a pellet or something. For sure. I guess. But you you are you are often the the one who takes the more incredulous position on these things. And and in this movie, just because I, I had seen it already, I was like, don't worry about it too much. Like we'll, well, <laughs> there will the, be answers. The, but... the pastiche is there for a reason. Yeah, it's right? it's meant to obfuscate the, the yes. real and the and the unreal, absolutely. And in that way I I feel like this one too, you know, if we're st- if we're still talking about maybe some lazy comparisons here, there are two others that I, I actually consider and think about one of which is total recall uh we're, we're sort of thrown in media res like into these these moments with schwarzenegger and we're not really sure how he got there or like where this started we just know that we're like in the moment and and this film does that a lot with the different levels of the game mm. it's also not unlike the the editing and the sort of subjectivity of like plugging in and going down multiple layers like Inception, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but but unlike that movie, like there's very seeming, seeming like very few rules here. And I feel like, you know, Nolan gets really bogged down in making sure like the logistics are handled really, really specifically. And, and Cronenberg seems completely disinterested in making sure that there's consistency among the layers. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about if this film is really anti-game because it yeah. came out in 1999 Obviously, like I, I think that this this film precedes Columbine, where where the conversation around violence in video games and violence in the media was all of a sudden like a national topic. So I, I, I am curious about it because I think that there is a read of this movie as really, really reactionary, and that also kind of like sides with that that kind of like more conservative perspective that games are rotting brains and games are making people violent. <laughs> What the fuck are you doing? You've killed him. You're gonna kill me next! Michael, he was only a game character. I didn't like the way he was messing with my mind. You didn't like that? So you killed him. <laughs> He's only a game character. Allegra. What if we're not in the game anymore? I'm having trouble parsing out whether or not that's that's an element here that that Cronenberg believes or an element here that he's using just as a, a means of expressing that distortion mm. that he's trying to to examine. That's and what I, I was thinking about. I wrote down some notes here, but yeah, I'm glad you went into the violent video games because part of me is just like wants to feel like it's satire a little bit. I just feel like it's so because I was thinking about. Um, Oh, when they're in the game and he's got the urge to kill and he like has the urge to kill her and then he has the urge to kill the waiter who I loved. That actor <laughs> is a gift. He's I so thought great. his performance was 
so funny. He is a so good. fantastic little character actor there. Um, Chinese but, waiter. Chinese waiter. Yes, that's his name. Well, he's a gem. <laughs> um, but but oh yeah, and then oh it's um him wanting to eat the frog. Like the whole idea of of these aspects being built into your character and like the notion of free will. Um, so it's just like there's this idea of playing on again our like primal instincts who we are, this, like, I guess, violence built within us, perhaps. Um, the game, of course, game bleeding into reality, like violence in video games bleeding into uh, violence in real life. But, yeah, part of me really wants to feel like that's, like, I haven't, I don't, obviously I don't know David Cronenberg personally, but just, like, I feel like his films are smarter than that. And part of me feels like I don't know. There's a there's such a goofiness to this movie that it just feels like I it feels like it's satire more than anything. But again, you know, it's hard to say. It does toe like a weird line. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally agree with you, Brianna. I actually think I felt like the satire and sort of the wonkiness and kind of ridiculousness of some of the aspects of the movie were actually making a critique about the real world um, and sort of like our existence at the end of the 20th century. There's a a rant that Jude Law goes on, and I'm not going to remember any of the lines enough to paraphrase it well, but they're in line in one of the levels of the game waiting to do something. And he sort of talks about this idea of like, the rules are, you know, obscured from us. We we always are are under threat and our lives are always at stake and we never know who's after us. And, you know, he's bemoaning the the nature of, of the game. And it's very clear that he's describing reality. If if we didn't get it, you know, enough from his his rant, Jennifer Jason Lee's character says something to follow it up right away and says, yes, it's a game we're all already playing. And so it felt to me like moments like that were, you know, him sort of using this world of the game, this idea of, you know, escaping into something that's surreal slash hyperreal, that it's actually a reflection back of the anxieties and the, as, as we're talking about the sort of baser instincts that we have in the real world. Mm-hmm. And there's another great line too that was um, about free will. And I'm really glad you brought up free will because this line, I was like a gape after they said it. I think it's Jude Law's character says on the matter of free will being in the game and when he's feeling this push and pull in between the things that are built into his character versus the things that he just wants to do, he says something like there's just enough free will here to keep it interesting it's either him or jennifer jason lee's yeah i think it's her she says it. i'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. and i just thought that was like a beautiful sum up of you know this question that all of these movies at the end of the 90s are asking which is you know how much free will do we have and what what does the existence of free will actually actually do and the matrix you know deals with that question very explicitly right Wait, on, on the topic of that, you know, it, it almost seems like, you know, if we're talking about the this sort of end of the 90s here and, and the subject matter of the film explicitly, it's interesting to me that, you know, they're, they're talking about and, and dealing with and touching on this question of like, how, how much free will do we actually have? And I've heard before that, I don't remember what this is 
from, but but someone explaining that you know kind of our, our concept of of freedom of of liberty is actually should should be measured in, in how much of our, our time can be spent doing what we actually please as opposed to what we have to to survive like in a really precarious space. And so I find it interesting too that in all the layers of the game there's this like banality, this mundaneity and and that they're always working. Like in every one of these layers, they're pretty much just like laborers, right? Like they either work in a factory where the characters are like, you know, work work in a a restaurant or uh, Or in a video game store. Or they're shopping, Shopping, right? right. So thing and yeah, being patronized too, yeah. Yeah. So that, but that's it, (laughs) right? It's it's either they're just like they're they're doing labor or they're consuming, and Mm. like those are the two choices that we have. Like those are the only Mm. real. It's like it's like a, a switch that just flips back and forth, and so, you know, asking this question here has this kind of like. Marxist revolutionary kind mm-hmm. of leaning to it where he's like Comrade he, Cronenberg. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's real. I think Comrade, we can go there. You know, I think that he's down enough to at least understand and express the anxiety in a way that feels smarter than than some people. Because I think another big trend with these movies in the nineties is that a, a lot of these Hollywood films are dealing with this anxiety or are dealing with this sort of like listlessness that people are feeling approaching this new millennium and not really articulating any clear or descript answers to what to do about it it's just sort of like feeling lost in the ether and with Cronenberg at least he you know maybe isn't isn't providing an outlet or an answer but at least expressing something that's like that anxiety you're feeling is completely valid and Mm -hmm. and here are some reasons why so I, I think it just it, it may level up the commentary on that particular feeling a little bit from other directors, but you know Cronenberg is not not your your typical director. He's very special in that regard. <laughs> it's like a man. The film is like a manifestation of the anxiety more than like a commentary on it. And That's he, true. He does that across his whole career. You know, it's it deals yeah. more in just sort of like the the like hyper personal and like subjective reality of those things and the feelings rather than. In, in sort of these like kind of broad statements of, you know, art- articulating a, an idea or, or a sort of counter-revolutionary thought or mm-hmm. something. It's, it's always just like, oh, like you're, you're feeling sick and, and anxious and, and repulsed. And that's the point. Like that is, that is what our world presents to us. Yeah. We even just, and I think maybe you did too, Brianna, just watched uh, A History of Violence. It was, it was a rewatch yeah. for me, but Carly had just seen it. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting evolution, you know, in, in the, the early aughts or like mid aughts for him moving from this, uh, you know, subjective and simulated reality into something that seems like it's tearing at the barriers of that artifice and showing something hyper real breaking through again and, and not fetishizing, but definitely like evoking this, like just brutalism (laughs) and the idea that like this, this, you know, kind of like idea of. Of, of physical violence and of, of justice as we see it at its most uh, innate and, and instinctual is not the payoff that we really believe that it will be. I think the other thing that I found myself pondering as I was watching this movie is the idea that these mediated digital worlds, whether it's in the form of a video game or social media, these digital communities, or, you know, now we're, we're getting into um, virtual reality and, and that's being militarized and there's all this stuff, right? I found myself thinking about like how those channels of 
uh, accessing reality, you know, through uh, a mediated means that are meant to feel real, you know, in the same way that like we're in a virtual reality setting, it's virtual, we know that it's not, but it's supposed to be hyper real to a certain extent um, and allow us to do things and feel things and all of that stuff. And, and even as we're having conversations on Twitter or, you know, on Instagram, there's this idea that it's a simulacrum. It's, you know, meant to recreate re reality in this, in some way, but that in doing so, sort of like what the game does, like the further down those worlds you go, the more confined you are, the more disconnected from reality you end up being. And that maybe it's in like the, you know, sort of opposite direction. And this is just being an art history nerd thinking like, yeah, it's actually in like, expressionism and maybe these things that really tear us away from reality that we get to experience something real or something deeper um, than when we're in these kind of mediated, you know, constraining digital spaces. And I don't know, you know, how explicit, how explicit that is in the movie, but what I loved about this movie is that it made me think, it made my mind go off in all of these different directions. And I think that's always a testament to a filmmaker's skill is he isn't necessarily, as Aaron said, providing the answers, but he is making me think about a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> and I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he, he, he just is like playing off human anxieties. Basically. That's what I, most of his work is doing. I wrote a whole paper about um, not Cronenberg specifically, but about Cronenberg within the piece just about like body horror and how the entire genre is just kind of I guess on the most basic level I did for this class playing off just our anxiety of death and um aging although I don't really feel like existence is doing a lot with that but I think there is of course bodily anxiety in it obviously with the uh the ports and um being penetrated and the the game sacks and whatnot. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm jumping back here a little bit, but you know, in in terms of this thing we were talking about uh, about the expressions of violence within within the mediated reality and in the sort of augmented reality, there was uh, a piece that came out from Fast Company earlier this week about Microsoft netting this like multi billion dollar contract with the Pentagon to produce augmented reality headsets and technology for soldiers. Um, and, and talking about like, and the way that they're selling it, of course, is like, just think about the, the level of defense that we can employ when somebody is in a tank, like, you know, hundreds of miles away, piloting a drone with their eyes from the sky. And, you know, it's, it's sold as this like, you know, a really invaluable, uh, progression of technology and, and, you know, saving our troops and, and making warfare more exacting and precise. But I can't help but feel that it's doing exactly what the game or what, what the film is, is sort of articulating, which is distancing us from pulling the trigger and distancing us from like creating that violence in a way that feels like, I don't know, just like really brutal and, and really kind of sickening to think about, you know, like just how, how much easier it, it feels to you know drop someone through like a, a screen than it does you know like if you're actually like standing there like seeing them and 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 in 
that element and having to like feel the sort of like visceral nature of it. Like it just, it, it, this is the thing that kind of terrifies me about like the, the sort of like augmented reality and like the violence of it is it's like, it's co-opting into, into militarism mm -hmm. and, and, and empire where it's like, you know, when, when it's like a, you know, a kid in, in his room with like an Xbox, like that to me doesn't seem so much of a threat because that person doesn't have power. That person doesn't have access or means to things that are like really, really troubling. I mean, not, not yet at least. Right. But at the level of like the state, you just think about, you know, billions and billions of dollars being pumped into advancing this technology to make it easier to, to do exactly that thing, to distance yourself from, from, from the realness of, of the decision-making that, that to me seems kind of like, troubling that's where I, I kind of get into my own sort of reactionary Cronenberg sort of feeling mm -hmm. that actually made me think about how because I was thinking about how like I'm personally like not interested in virtual reality like I don't get the appeal of it you're pretty much just going in and just like living like life or doing things that you can already do in real life and I was all thinking then like oh in the movie it's pretty much the same thing you're doing what you can just normally do in real life albeit a little bit more boring I think in the movie like even more banal but then what you were talking about made me think about how like the banality like leads to violence yes mm -hmm. like what they're doing in the game is so just like unassuming like they're not doing like anything crazy or going to mythical lands again they're shopping or they're um working but then that leads to like revolution Ooh, Comrade Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Back to that. <laughs> maybe, maybe we've really, really struck oil here with this. Like... <laughs> I, I do think though there's something to this, this idea of like, you know, the further into the game you get, the more sort of banal and and baser and sort of confining things become, the more removed from consequence you are. Mm -hmm. And with the, I read the Fast Company article and it made me think of our conversation about Starship Troopers. We, we read a piece and I'm not gonna remember um, who wrote it and I'm, I'm really sad about that because it was a really great piece, but it was called Verhoeven, Virilio and some third V. Some other V. Violence or something. <laughs> and it's, um, an it's an academic paper. Maybe we'll link to it ag again in this episode description because it's fun to read. But it was precisely about this, about this idea that the the sort of mechanizing and 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 sort of reducing things down and and making things more efficient that that removes us from the kind of visceral experience of taking a life or what whatever kind of thing like sexual experience or whatever it may be. And I found myself thinking about that when I read the Fast Company article. There was just something really disquieting about marketing these <laughs> virtual reality headsets as a means through which we could become more efficient with our brutalizing. And that we, in removing you know, the human experience from it, we can get it done quickly and easily and potentially at a, a, a much broader scale. And so I do think there we're all sort of circling around something here that feels right, that the further they go into the game, the more violence there is too. There's like the fire at the end, there's like a literal war zone. Right. Um, 
And then, of course, when we come out and we're in the church and, you know, we're sort of left with the question of, is it, are we still in the game or is this reality? There's violence in that level, too, when they shoot and kill the game maker. Inescapable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That absence of consequence, I think, goes back to really like the, the first point that you articulated about just sort of, you know, the, the further we go into this uh, unreality, the surreality, the more our baser instincts are, are permitted to to come to the surface. You know, I, I had kind of forgotten about it until just now when, when we got a little bit deeper into it. But the moment where there is finally some catharsis in terms of like their their sexual attraction and the tension where they kind of like jump one another like in in the warehouse they they have these impulses and Jude Law tongues her her bioport and then they you know kind of like make out and feel each other up or whatever but she she kind of tells him i guess our characters are supposed to want to be together or like but you know we we probably should just like allow this to happen we sh- we should just like go with it yeah, free will yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you kind of wonder like you know, how much of that is just like a, an expression of this like already like underlying, you know, sort of sexual tension between these two characters who are in a life threatening uh, interaction? How much of it is just, you know, the, the, the game expressing its will over over them? That is also um, I feel like it kind of leads into something I wanted to bring up that we hadn't talked about yet. But the characters consistently wanting to plug in while they're in the game. Mm-hmm. I think twice that happens where they do the one that they buy at that store that like goes into their body. Yeah. Right. The and tiny. then the disease, yeah, the tiny one. And then the diseased one that yes. she just like has to plug into at the end. Yes. I thought that was really interesting that they can't escape this desire to like keep going um, when they're already in the game. Like, <laughs> I just thought it was like uh, I guess it's I mean it kind of reminded me on like a totally surface level of Inception which made me think uh, was this the first Inception movie is this like the first yeah. movie where there's like layers of like I don't know because because when they plug in in the game do they go into another level we're not really aware but they mm. could be because it, it keeps like coming in you, you know they keep coming out of like their scenes or whatever right like till the very end so it's like they could be so inception yeah i'm like you is know, this the first movie to do this <laughs> that's so funny that you bring that up oh actually goodness. the very first time i heard about this film and watched it was traveling to to visit some some friends I had who were in film school in Chicago and and one of these guys was their roommate and like probably like the the biggest film snob out of all of them but in a, in a really really like loving and endearing way it was just like he he either really loved things really hated things and it always seemed to kind of like you know like like the the, the RIYL kind of idea of like oh if you like this you'll like this was not applicable to this person but we went and saw Inception that summer and he was like, that movie was ass. And he, but then he was like, also, it totally cops a bunch of this stuff from this movie Existence that Cronenberg did. Ah. And I was like, okay, well, tell me about this. He explained a little bit of it. And I'm like, just, just shut up and put the movie on. And so we watched it. Um, and, and yes, like, it's, it's pretty uncanny. Just like how much of that, like, you know, going, going down into deeper levels and that like impulse to continually plug in and, and not and, knowing whether you're even out or not, you know, yeah. that's yeah, how, that's end. how this ends. That's right. how inception ends. Like that's the same right. thing. The, the, the guns, <laughs> the guns on Chinese waiter at the end of this movie is just the spinning top, right? Like that's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For real. 
but that, I mean, that was my first experience with this film. And uh, I actually had kind of forgotten about that until you just mentioned it, that, yeah, there's, there's certainly something to that. Um, but of course, it, it has to be uh, sort of, what, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Industrialized, I guess, in, in Nolan's version. Like everything feels like it's in an office building as opposed to like in some sort of weird other otherworldly kind of space it, it, it feels much more clinical in that one reminds me of oh god was it a tumblr post it's either a tumblr post that went on twitter or it was a tweet where someone is just basically like i can't believe nolan's concept of the like innermost part of a man's psyche looks like a ski resort and not like some <laughs> depraved sexual playland <laughs> like that's, I feel like, you know, I mean, obviously this movie doesn't really go that far. It's not like that depraved, but, but it, it's kind of doing that, you know, more, more so than Inception is, but. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, feel, it feels disingenuous to not show something that's like at least a little bit grotesque if we're going yeah. into like the inner workings well, of the mind. And Jude Law's character says as much. He's like, the way you've designed this game, like everything's wet and like it's it's just grotesque like we're surrounded by all of this blood and guts and and it's everything so dirty he comments and you're right like that feels more representative of something akin to like inner anxieties or you know fears we may have than yeah, a ski res- a literal ski resort. Resort. <laughs> or, or a hotel. Or, or like, a really fancy hotel. Or a garage. Like. <laughs> a hotel that like turns around in one of the hallways. Woo! Yep. It a spins. really nice bar with a good martini. That's that's my <laughs> Yeah. Lots of suits. <laughs> For sure. Yep. <laughs> but you know, I, I was reading some like uh some like commentary from Cronenberg on on the film and like the the levels of like uh of augmented reality or virtual reality that he's showing here and I guess he had a couple of like directives in terms of making it more mundane you know like there, there's the running joke throughout obviously that all of the places are just named generically like country gas station and motel Chinese and things restaurant. like Chinese, Chinese restaurant, restaurant right like go to these places uh, um, but also that I, I guess like Cronenberg uh, deliberately told the costume uh, department he was very explicit about them being in in only like monotone clothing, like like no patterns, nothing that was like really expressive. And his his feeling was like, oh, a bunch of patterns would be something that would take up more memory and more computer space. So if like they're in a digital environment, like oh. everything should be very like color blocked and very like blank. Um, and I, I just thought that that was like a nice, cool little nuance of of like another layer layer of thinking that. A really fantastic director, um, you know, kind of kind of goes to. And yet, he could not escape escape the draw of the zigzag part. Oh my cr- god, I'm so glad that is exactly what I was going to say. And as soon as you started, I was like, oh my god, she better make a mention of the hair. <laughs> he had to make her hair look like shit. Yes, the zigzag part. And if we're talking about patterns. It was that terrible thing from the late 90s of like straight mixed with crimped, crimped hair. And you have these like blocks of, it's very like Christina Aguilera hair where yeah. like she had like blocks of pin straight hair mixed with like crimps. Right. 
And, and then like the little like red dye job at the tips and stuff. Well, that's Christina Aguilera. That's but. Christina Aguilera. But <laughs> yes, but the zigzag. I, so he didn't, he, he dropped the ball on that one. They that's could true. not, the 90s could not help but seep in Couldn't when it came to her. Couldn't escape that part. No, you're, t- you're so right. Well, and like even like the specific clothing too. Like yes, the, her the, shiny pants. Oh, the shiny pants. <laughs> the shiny pants, yes. <laughs> But I, more topically, we should probably talk about these these two actors because at this point, like Jude Law is not yet a star. Um, this is the he's same a year. Baby. Such My a baby. Age in this. I looked him up. He's like twenty six. Yeah, twenty six, twenty seven, something like that. He's he's very baby faced. I mean, it works for this like idea of like the the sort of like penetrative anxiety kind of thing. Like I, I told Carly, I was like, he's very pretty. He's like very twinky in this. Like like he's like the perfect character for like all of these gruff, like, working-class men to just, like, poke holes into him. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what this should be. And the, like, hypersexual older woman who's, like, yes. ready to pounce. Well, and that's perfect for Jennifer Jason Lee too, because she's, like, kind of, you know, uh, a little bit past her heyday, a little bit past the point at which she's just, like, this, like, this, like, icon in, in Hollywood and, and, like, very sexualized. And and I think she's a, something, like, a decade older than Jude she Law. She is. She is, Yeah. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. props to them, you know? Like, it's it's a thing that you, like, never see in Hollywood with, like, an older woman, like, as as the lead, uh, uh, you know, after... Like, like Tom Cruise is, what, mid-50s and still getting paired with 19-year-old women, like, <laughs> next to him in, in movies. But uh, no, I, I appreciated the inversion. I thought it was daring, but also just, like, thematically really appropriate, too, to have Jennifer Jason Leigh uh, in this role. And I think she's, like, pitch perfect. Because she's, like... Oh, yeah. she's, Super weird, like a little, she's like really throaty. She's almost like kind of like croaking out some of her lines. Mm-hmm. And... Her voice just reminded me, it, have you guys seen Possessor? No. Oh, God, never mind. You guys need to see Possessor. It's from Brandon Cronenberg. I didn't even, didn't even think about that. That's oh, a wow. Oh, that's right. And, Is this... she's, and she's in it. Um, she plays a, uh, I can't even really describe her. I don't really want to like spoil it or anything, but she's just got the same kind of like throaty voice it sounds exactly the same and i was like oh but i didn't even remember that it was from his son that's right they is, this, the same actress. is this the one with andrea riceborough too yeah okay. i saw she gets I saw, into people's minds yeah yes okay i saw a lot of clips from this one when it was like you know about to hit the festival circuit and remembered to like bookmark it and make a note but i still haven't haven't tracked it down Dang. Well, now we have to watch it We're now you have to, to. Yep. yeah yes Maybe, fuck yes and watch <laughs> and watch something new it has similar, like, ge- or not gender, I guess gender and also sexual anxiety in it as well. That same sort of kind of, like, body, not dysmorphia, but just, like, bodily penetrative anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, to make a good devil feature, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're definitely going to hunt it down. So I, good. I'm, I'm just really glad that Brandon's, like, a filmmaker. Like, I, I, I can't imagine, like, what... David Cronenberg's progeny could be doing other than making like weird cinema, like just like him, like it has like, to be like that person's not like going to be an accountant or something. Or yeah. something. yeah, he's leaning into the nepotism in the best way. <laughs> totally. You know, <laughs> I, can, I can support it when the when the output is is good. I guess. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, Brandon Cronenberg and Laura Dern, two of the like the few times when nepotism really rocked us. Yes, Jennifer Jason Lee too. Oh, she's, she's Vic Morrow she's, and um, yeah, yes. the guy who died in the Twilight Zone movie, John yes. Landis. Uh, yeah, John Landis. <laughs> yeah. oh, That's yeah. right. I forgot and about mother's that. Mother's an actress, I think, too. I forget her name, but she's not as uh, well known. But yeah, I can't think of her. It's not Vivian Lee. That's 
older. It's Barbara something. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. Fascinating. Um, I had not even thought about it. I will say, though, that, you know, the thing that I really like about Jennifer Jason Lee is she's, like, I feel like this movie in particular is where she started to lean into the stuff that she did in the later stages of her career that was consistently more sort of, like, eerie and and just, like, like just being kind of a weirdo. And, and when I think about her in... Is it the Hateful Eight? Hateful Eight. Yeah, um, I just watched that or rewatched it recently. I mean, she's just she's so good. In there that. are so many like scene stealing people in that movie, and she is—you cannot take your eyes off of her. Like, I found myself kind of doing that in this movie too. Like, Jude Law is you know beautiful, and he kind of represents you know the sort of uh, an audience proxy. He's like asking questions. He's incredulous. All this stuff. But Jennifer Jason Lee is just like earnest and like full of like just like intensity for the game and and just like always kind of like fascinated and a little bit uh, unhinged in the movie. And I just I found that performance particularly captivating. Yeah, I just like that. That's kind of where she went in her career um, playing those kinds of characters. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about her in Good Time now too. Like she doesn't have much to yeah. do in that one, but she's so good. amazingly like unhinged in that movie. She's like the perfect like drugged out like older girlfriend of totally shitbag character. Like, oh, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. she Yeah, she rules. She's she rules hard. <laughs> also, I'm, is Jude Law doing a um Canadian accent in this? I'm glad you brought this up actually. They they sort of offhandedly kind of like brush it away at the end of the movie when they're in the final church scene and we hear everyone's finger quotes real accent so Christopher Christopher Eccleston is using his English accent as is I'm going to call him Ash that's not his name Ian, Ian, Ian Holm, Holm. Um, R.I.P. <laughs> I just can't I can't look at him and not, not call him Ash we hear Jude Law speak and he is speaking in his English accent and someone else says oh my accent was so strange in the game game. right Mm -hmm. it was Ian Holm that I couldn't even understand myself and I sort of retroactively applied that to some of the other characters in the movie that that speak strangely Jude Law in particular and Christopher Eccleston in the beginning yeah he's doing the Brooklyn accent weird Brooklyn accent (laughs) you even like stopped and you were like why is he doing why is he I thought that to myself too. I was like, is that a Brooklyn accent? Like, but I feel like that kind of speaks to, you know, the, 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 the simulacrum stuff of like, it's, you know, modeling an accent that we sort of know, but it's not quite getting it right. Cause it's a computer doing it right. And I, I applied that to Jude Law's accent as well, because his, his felt very strange. It did sound Canadian at times and just very like, I don't know, like proper. Yeah. Maybe he was just like imitating Davy Cronenberg. <laughs> Maybe. It ha- he was saying too many aboots to not be trying actively to be Canadian. Like it yeah. was, at first he did it and I was like, oh, it's just like when Nicole Kidman's accent slips through. But then he kept doing it over and over. And I'm like, no, he's like trying to do mm. a Canadian then I think yeah I think you're right well and remind me too because he does like a straight like American accent in in talented Mr. Ripley right 
He does. He's, he's like like a East Coast like oh, I forgot money that was, person. That he also did that movie the same year. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very straight accent. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like it can't not be deliberate for him to be like throwing on those those boots and, and yes. things like that. I think that that's I think that that's a fair assessment that they're all I wonder if they just let them like pick their accent. <laughs> it's like every every everybody's picking the accent. <laughs> but it is it is really making me appreciate, you know, between the direction on the costuming and some of these details with the accents like, you know, for as little explanation as Cronenberg gives us for the world building, you know, we sort of figure it out along with the characters. There is all of this attention to detail that when you get to the end of the movie, you can kind of go back and say, oh, yeah, that's right. This was a really weird exchange. Or, yeah, the, the accent was a little bit off. Like, I like that he dispenses with, you know, anything expository in favor of executing the simple stuff really thoughtfully and with a really fleshed out perspective. And I, I actually just really loved watching this movie. It was campy and fun and also made me think, which, as I was saying, is always a good sign. But I really, really liked this movie. It's a wild ride. And um, you know, you know what, what you're saying is, I think, one of my favorite things about Cronenberg. Because he anticipates some of like the preliminary questions we'll have about the world building. And ends up answering them, you know, in, in very simplistic like ways. Like, like, like the, the, the moment where Jude Law asked Jennifer Jason Lee why his bioport doesn't get infected if it's just like an open hole in your body. And she yeah. just opens her mouth wide and expresses like, we, we have lots of holes in our body that don't <laughs> routinely get infected. <laughs> um, and I'm going to bring it up one more time because it's just like the most explicit comparison here, even if it's a lazy one. But thinking about the way that someone like a Christopher Nolan in like a more mainstream Hollywood picture. Are you going to bring up Tenet? Oh, I was going to bring up Inception <laughs> again, but Tenet is another like really sinful version of this where it's like spend so much time articulating and expressing the the details and like answering the questions so much so that he's almost anticipating questions that you wouldn't even bother to ask if you were just engaged with the movie. He just renders the entire thing unintelligible. And in and, and the reverse, like, Cronenberg doesn't do that. He just like expresses this thing. He answers a couple of the questions that he knows that you're asking about, like these these little you know details, but otherwise just expects you to kind of either either buy in or not. And I think that's a much more daring approach to it. And why he's able to keep his movies at that like tight ninety five. <laughs> that's true. Tight ninety five because not all characters are talking and explaining everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want things explained to me. Show no, me things. Just show me exactly. Yeah. And we're, we're coming to Cronenberg at a, at a good time uh, on the show because it was just announced within the last week or so. Uh, new film, classic Vigo Cronenberg Vigo. mess around. Uh, the, the Crimes of the Future, uh, which is the name of one of Cronenberg's first features. So I'm, I'm interested to see if it's like a direct remake or if it's uh, just co-opting the title and, and doing something else with it entirely. But you can't go wrong with Dave Cronenberg and, and Viggo Mortensen in, in the same room together. Still need to see um, Eastern Promises and uh, Dangerous Method. Is that what Dangerous the other one's called? Yeah. yeah. It, it, certainly his most like understated, but also impossibly horny. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, like, you know, just Michael Fassbender, like whipping and spanking, like, uh, oh, Lord. Knightley, like, like 10 minutes straight. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Scandalous. Uh, <Lovely. laughs> 
but Eastern Promises is like one of one of my favorite late period Cronenbergs too. Real good. Yeah, just uh, there's there's a scene in there where where Vigo cemented himself as like one of the bravest actors I, I think working today, and I'm not going to give too much away about it, but it, it takes place in a sauna. Um, and it's, oh, I know about the sauna. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. In in more ways than one, the man is is uh, leaving it all on the field. So it's really really something to marvel at and watch. After we finished History of Violence the other night, he was like, okay, we need to watch Eastern Promises because I haven't seen it either. Um, so I'm on board. Great filmmaker. Cool-ass film. Existence. Oh, yeah, yeah. And thank, thank you, Brianna, for bringing us to this movie. I, I really, really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I mean, we would have had a hit either way because it was either this or Clifford. So we would have had a great <laughs> show regardless. You know, it's, it's, you're not the first person who has, has suggested Clifford for our show recently. And, and I was like, okay, the universe is telling the us something. Like, watch Clifford. <laughs> you might be seeing that one sooner than later on the show, for sure. Hell yes. Well, I think that that is a pretty good place to, to wrap up our discussion today. Uh, Brianna Ziegler, thank you so much for being here. You've been an absolute delight. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Um, as always, you can follow us at Hit Factory Pod. Uh, subscribe, patreon.com slash hitfactorypod. Shout out to our capitalist overlord, Linda. Take care, everyone.